As I said earlier, my name is Chris Campbell. I want to introduce a special scripture reader this morning. This is my brother, Steve Campbell. Come on up, Steve. So Steve is going to read our scripture. Um, Steve can't speak, but he one of his favorite things is the music in the service. And his second favorite part is scripture. And he likes to have people read it with him. But today, he gets the special privilege of reading it for us using his iPad. Good morning, church. My name is Steve Campbell. Today's scripture reading is from Philippians, chapter 2. You can follow along in your Bibles, on your Bible apps, or on the screens behind me. I will be reading from the New American Standard Bible, Philippians 2, 3 through 11. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also, God highly exalted him, and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Steve. Should we just say amen and go home? (laughs) Again, my name is Peter, and I am one of the pastors here. Excited to be here with you this morning. I see some new faces, so I'm going to start with uh, an introduction. So this is my family. Uh, One of these ladies is my wife, who was recently on a missions trip to Guatemala. And then we have my four girls. Picture taken, um, Mount Rushmore National Park, on our drive from Chicago to Mercer Island um, seven months ago. And most important of all is Bear, our 17-pound cockapoo. All right. I want to share... a word with you that uh, is something that I think about regularly throughout the day. And the phrase is actually the title of the sermon, which is, Jesus is pretty great. Now, I say it this way because this is the way I think and this is the way I speak. And when I find myself thinking this phrase, Jesus is pretty great, it's when I'm under in situations of stress or duress, And sort of I'm being cut and I'm bleeding something. And I'm bleeding selfishness or arrogance or self-preservation or some kind of other uh, common trait that exhibits itself under duress. And often when I'm doing that, uh, I think to myself, Jesus never did that. How did he never do that? He was different from me. He was pretty great. Jesus is pretty great. What makes Jesus so great? How come he's so different from you and I? 
Um, Christianity uh, is pretty unique. It's different, I'm finding, than any other religion uh, that I have studied or have encountered. Uh, One of the key distinctions of what makes Christianity different is this truth that God, the God that we worship, is a community. That God has no relational needs because he exists in the form of community. That is to say that God exists in three equal forms. The Greek word that's used in this passage that we'll go over later is the word morphe. God exists in these three equal forms, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are distinct but equal, and they compose together of God, but also each separate, they are also God. This is what we call the Trinity, and this is a mystery, and I don't know that I will ever understand this completely, but here is what this means. Therefore, Jesus is God. Jesus is God. And as God, Jesus did for us what only God can do. He was sent by God the Father as God the Son. And this God's Son died on earth to cleanse us from our sin. And this God's Son, Jesus Christ, rose again from the dead so that we can have the gift of the Holy Spirit. So that God, in the form of the Holy Spirit, can dwell within us. Of all the sections in the whole Bible, this passage that was read for us by Stevie here, this is the highest form uh, of expression of Jesus as God. There's no other place in the Bible that exalts Jesus more than here in Philippians chapter 2. But you notice it says that he also humbled himself. That he took on the form of a slave. That he died for us. And not just death, but death on a cross. And so we'll go over different aspects of this story and the greatness of Jesus' divinity today in three points. First, that Jesus was God. Second, that Jesus stayed God. And third, that Jesus is the only way to God. Okay, first, Jesus was God. There are many, many truths and points to be made from this passage. But there is one main point of all of the verses here that was read for us. And the main point is this. Jesus is God. If somebody ever asks you, what is Philippians 2 about? It's this. Jesus is God. God. Paul, in verse 6, uses the word form. The Greek word is the word morphe. We hear this word morphe, and we think it must be referring to physical outward appearance. You know, we have words like metamorphosis or transformation, but it's not that word. Okay? Actually, the word appearance in verse 8 is a different Greek word. And so this word morphe is not talking about the outward appearance of things. It's not that Jesus sort of looked like God on the outside. But this word is, you know, if I was a Bible translator, which I'm not and I shouldn't be, 
But if I were to choose a word, I would actually choose a Hebrew word, the word kavod. And the word kavod literally means weight or means to be heavy. And it's translated as the word glory, right? And so what is the glory of God is asking the question, well, what does God weigh? How heavy is he? What's his significance? What's the thing? What are the traits that make God heavier, that make God God? Right? What's Peter about? What's Peter's essence? What's his glory? What's his weight? What gives him significance? Right? And so this word morphe is saying Jesus in every aspect that is significant. He was in himself the essence of God. In fact, so much so that Colossians chapter 2 verse 9 says, For in him all the fullness of deity dwells. This means that Jesus didn't possess divinity. It wasn't something that he owned. He didn't have a bill of sale for buying divinity. Jesus didn't grasp at it. He didn't wear it. He didn't cover up some lesser you know, uh, creature that he was with a cloak of divinity. Jesus didn't desire to be God. He didn't need to be God. He didn't imitate divinity. He was God through and through. Jesus Christ is God. But not only was Jesus God, when he walked the earth, he stayed God. You know, we read a passage like this, and uh, we recognize that the passage orbits around the central idea that Jesus is God. But then we read these other parts of the um, uh, verses here where phrases like, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, humbled himself, obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, and we mistakenly think that Jesus somehow during his lifetime on earth, while he walked the earth, he made himself less than God. That somehow divinity diminished when he was alive here on earth. And that's a mistake. Look at these traits. Emptied himself. He didn't grasp at power. He humbled himself. He became obedient to death, even death on a cross. These traits would not be, these words would not be used to describe me. I don't not grasp at power. I want power, more power to me, for me. That's my nature. I want more power. I want divinity. I want to have control over my life. I'm going to grasp at being God. Nobody says, wow, Peter, he really, he just humbles himself even to death. Look at this guy. These are not words that describe human beings. These are words that one would use to describe God. And so we initially mistakenly think that Jesus made himself less than God. But if we really think about it, what we come to realize is that these words are not contradicting his divinity. They are expressing divinity. They are divine traits. I have never met another human being 
who possesses these traits. This isn't describing somebody who is other than God or less than God, but somebody who is God. These are not human traits, but divine traits. Okay, Bruce Lee's story. Now, uh, some of you know that Bruce Lee is a childhood uh, hero of mine. Uh, He is because, uh, you know, when I was growing up here in America as an immigrant, he was sort of the Asian immigrant's hero because he was famous and strong and popular and well-known. And so here he is. But did you know that he is actually a Seattleite? That he was born in San Francisco, but he actually lived here. And he went to uh, University of Washington, that he was a drama major. Do you know that his gravesite is in Capitol Hill? He's buried next to his son, Brandon Lee. Uh, Pretty cool things about Bruce Lee. I happened upon uh, some blog entries about Bruce Lee from a guy who knew Bruce Lee and hung out with Bruce Lee before he became famous. And so he wasn't starstruck. He wasn't biased in any way. He simply experienced Bruce Lee as just another uh, person because Bruce Lee used to uh, also teach martial arts on the side while he was a student uh, in 1961 at the university. And uh, he says this in describing Bruce Lee. He says, Bruce Lee created this feeling of awe in those around him. And he says, whether you were 10 feet from him or 100 feet from him, you felt the strength of his presence. He emanated something. And he says what he emanated was power and finesse. Power and finesse. And then he says this. Most you know, public articles or uh, write-ups about Bruce Lee won't say this because often they don't know. But he says this. He says, in my experience, he not only emanated power and finesse, but he also emanated resentment, a temper, and a darkness. And then he recounts this one story where he found himself eating dinner, sitting next to Bruce Lee. And apparently Bruce Lee had a pretty bad day because at the core of his being, he found himself fearful for his life because power and darkness do not go well together. And this was Bruce Lee. Now, why am I quoting Bruce Lee, the Bruce Lee story here? Because I like Bruce Lee, but more to the point, because verse 6 to 11 is probably uh, a quote theologians tell us, scholars, historians tell us, and it's not words that Paul used. These aren't Paul's words. These are not consistent with Pauline language. And the way that it's laid out, uh, the way that there's a, a rhythm and a rhyme to it, it's probably a poem or a hymn. And so Paul was quoting something that was common to his Uh, audience. What this means, given when the book of Philippians was written and when Paul was alive, is that this hymn or this poem, verses 6 to 11, was written by people who walked and talked with Jesus. They lived life with him. And what this means is that there was a kind of presence that Jesus emanated when he walked the earth. And it wasn't like the kind of presence that I emanate. It wasn't like what you emanate. 
It wasn't like what Bruce Lee emanated. There was no darkness. There was no temper. There was no fear. But he emanated something that led to the conclusion that he was God. Imagine the way he ate, the way he took off his sandals, the way he disrobed when he was washing or when he was hot, the way he walked, the way he joked or put his arm around you, the way he spoke when he was preaching sermons. There was something in the quality of his presence that caused those who lived with him to conclude that Jesus is God. And they wrote a song about it. And witnesses who had lived with him testified with their testimony that this is true. And what this means is that Jesus' final act of dying on the cross for us was not life that was taken from him, but it was life that he chose to lay down because he was through and through a self-giving person. It means that his final act of dying on the cross was not just something he had been saving up until that fateful moment, but it was how he lived his life every single day. That he always humbled himself. That he always thought about other people and considered other people's interests more important than his own. That he was always seeing you and he wasn't self-focused. And so when the moment of the cross came, dying on the cross for us was just the next logical, consistent, integrist expression of who he was all the time. And his believers, his followers, his friends, his contemporaries testify to this fact that Jesus is God. He did not become less than God when he walked the earth. He stayed God. In fact, Mark chapter 15, verse 37 says this. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And listen to this. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the Son of God. Now a centurion is somebody who is a head of a group of soldiers. And this centurion has probably seen hundreds, if not thousands of men, die on the cross, on the Roman crucifix. And never before has he ever watched somebody die and exclaimed, Surely this man was the Son of God. There is something that the centurion saw in the way Jesus died, in how he conducted himself. Jesus bled more than just blood. He bled love and forgiveness and truth and kindness and humility, and sacrifice. There is an obedience in the way that he died. There is a self-giving nature in the way he hung on the cross. No man who died on the cross before ever was giving of themselves. Their lives are being taken from them. But here he is, a secular man, looks at how he died, And says, oh my God, what have we done? 
He was God. We have crucified God. Who was this guy? Who was Jesus? How was he able to die? Nobody, if I, I hope I will never be crucified, and I don't think I will be. But if you were to watch me be crucified, your conclusion would not be, oh my gosh, you are pretty great, dude. You're not going to think that. My life is going to be being taken from me. I'm going to be bleeding resentment and anger and hatred and a sense of injustice. But here Jesus is. Because there Jesus was. That's how he lived. And his disciples and eyewitnesses verify in real time that Jesus was God and that Jesus stayed God and Jesus died as God. Surely he was God. And you know, in this passage, it says that God highly exalted him and lifted, up, lifted his name up above every name, that every, name should, every knee should bow and every tongue confess. Why? Well, because Jesus is God. It's not that Jesus became less than God and he did some really good things. Therefore, God is saying, I will reward you and make you God. He's saying, you are demonstrating the fact that you are God. Therefore, since I am a God of all truth, I will lift up this truth that you are God for the whole world to see. By your resurrection from the dead, everybody will know that you are God, that your life was true, your deeds were good, you obey the voice of the Holy Spirit in your life. Therefore, God highly exalted him. Jesus was God, Jesus stayed God, and Jesus is the only way to God. Now, um, the... Uh, the key action or application for us is found in verse 3 to 5. But verse 5 is really what sums it up. Verse 5 says this. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. So this is our job now. Here's this guy who was pretty great. And he turns out he's God. And he, because he was God, he was able to have within himself these traits of obedience and humility, and self-giving nature. He was able to do it. And I want you to be able to do it, it seems like Paul is saying. Right? Can you do that? Can you have this attitude in yourselves? Can you have this mind in yourselves? I'm happy to report to you that I did last week for approximately 12 minutes. And uh, the story goes that Susie and I, as we always do, we did our taxes. And by we, I mean me. And every year, we sort of scramble to get our paperwork together. And every year, we swear that we're going to file our paperwork better. And, um, you know, same thing that we all do. And uh, the role that I play, because I'm more of the numbers guy. My dad is a math professor. And I, uh, um, anyway, so... Uh, I do the taxes, and Susie's my filer, my helper, and my runner. Her job is to sit next to me, and I say, okay, this question. Anything come to mind about that? Okay, paperwork? Okay, you file something? Okay, can you go get that? And she runs, and she gets it, and she's my helper. 
And her, part of her job is to be there and just, you know, uh, enjoy me as I do this huge favor for her. <laughs> but something happened 12 minutes in. We started about 10 o'clock this year, which is, I think, our average time because we have little kids that refuse to go down. And so 12 minutes in, I'm doing taxes. I'm working hard. I'm feeling pretty good about my self-giving nature. And you know what she does? She yawned. I know, right? She yawned. How dare she? Why wasn't she more engaged? Why was this not interesting to her? Why was she not just as invested? I'm doing this for her. How dare she be so inappropriate and ungrateful and disengaged? Yawn? Seriously? And with one yawn, my moral house of cards collapsed. With one yawn, she revealed the ugly side of my good deed. You understand? I'm doing her taxes for her. Her signature is on the paperwork. But each time I do taxes for her, I always have to check the box that says we're filing jointly. Meaning, when I do her taxes, I'm actually doing our taxes, and I'm working to pay down our debt. There's always something I'm getting out of every good deed I have ever done. I, because I'm human, am a needy person. I'm not like Jesus. I'm not like God who can just give of myself and be obedient to death, even death on a cross. That's not me. I have needs. I have done lots of taxes for you, taxes for many of you. And each time I have to check the box that says we're filing jointly because I'm getting something out of it. There is no pure good deed I have ever done. There's no person I've ever served for even a moment for free. I can never not consider my interests also. You can never be more important than me because even if we claim that this is about you, there's still something that is about me and that's pretty important to me. The grace that I give you has strings. The love that I have for you is fragile and it's fickle and it's ultimately demanding. It's ultimately trying to get something. I'm an extractor. I need to extract. And here Jesus is able to pay down my debt, do my taxes. And he signs the return, but he's not filing jointly. This is just about him giving himself to me, for me. You and I, we are all under debt with God and with each other. We're simultaneously, in all of our virtue, driven by our own needs, either to give or to receive. This is precisely what it means to be human. To be giving and loving and selfless and humble and dying. That, my friends, is truly divine. Now let me ask you, can you have this mind? 
Can you ever not file jointly? I can't have this mind. It's not possible for me. Next year, I know exactly what's going to go down. I'm going to sit down and try to do our taxes, and I'm going to feel pretty good about the one taking this on. And she is going to yawn again. I can't have this mind, but I don't have to. My job is not to have this mind, but to have the one who has this mind in me. And this is the hope of the Christian message. That you would stop trying to be good on your own and say, God, I don't know why I keep having hope for myself. I recognize that with my own strength, I can never, ever have hope. I will always be putting other people in debt all around me. They will always owe me something. I need the mind of Christ in me. I need Jesus in me. And so this day, I repent of my badness. I repent of my goodness. And I ask Jesus to come in. Forgive me of all my sin. Cleanse me and give me the gift of the Holy Spirit so that he can live in me. I know that from the bottom of your heart, from the first beat of your heart to its last, you want somebody to give love serve and die for you that's the longing of all of our hearts and i'm saying look around there's not one person here that can do that for you save jesus who is also here you need god but you can't have god without christ christ is the only way to god you bow and pray with me? Father, it is our confession this morning that we all emanate stuff. And not all of it is pretty. At best, it's a pretty mixed bag. But you, Lord Jesus, we acknowledge you were perfect. You were just amazing in the way you walked this earth and gave yourself constantly to others in such a way that people around you concluded, even in your dying, that surely you must be God. And so, Jesus, today we ask that you be in us. Jesus, cover us in your blood. Forgive us. Cleanse us from all of our sins. And give us the gift of the Holy Spirit that we might have the mind of Christ. So that when we go to heaven, it's not this surprise jump, but it's just the next natural step because we've had the mind of Christ in us. And we get to now be with you for all of eternity. I want to give an invitation to some of you in this room. If you are somebody that do not label themselves as a Christian and you don't believe you have the mind of Christ in you nor the gift of the Holy Spirit in you. That you recognize that you are a sinner and you want to invite Jesus to be part of your life as your Lord and Savior. If that's you, I want to just ask you to quickly lift up your hands. 
to acknowledge that? Jesus, we pray a prayer of thanksgiving for your work in our lives. I pray, God, that many, many would come to know you as trustworthy Lord and Savior. Until we see you face to face, sustain our faith. Help us to believe that you died for us, that you rose again from the dead. Let this be reality for us day in and day out. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.